This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Around the world, we are all looking at fast fashion. We are all looking at, you know, cheap commodities. We never stop to ask the question how that is possible. This is a podcast about two things. Helping those with urgent needs in front of us today and improving the road so others can walk it safely in the future. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, a podcast where we're learning how to do good better. I'm Kent Annan, co-director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton College, and I'm joined by my colleagues Jamie Aiton and Laura Finch to explore how we can more effectively love our neighbors from everyday acts of kindness to the most complex humanitarian challenges facing the church and society today. And now we're excited to bring on our guest. Our guest today is Anu George Kanjanathopul. Uh, during her time with International Justice Mission, Anu worked extensively to impact the justice system by collaborating with state and local governments in India. She holds a master's degree in business administration from Edith Cohen University uh, in Australia and a master's degree in organizational leadership from Eastern University. She completed a law degree as well in Chennai and a special diploma in intellectual property law at the India Law Institute in Pune. Uh, Anu and her husband live in the greater Toronto area in Canada with their twin daughters. Uh, also, just want to say as we go into this conversation, Anu's story is really remarkable. When we could spend an entire episode just on her story. And another podcast has actually done this. You can search for the new Activist Podcast episode from November 23rd, 2020, to hear Anu share pieces from her whole life story. Today, we'll touch briefly on her background and dive, but, you know, spend more time diving into her topics of expertise. So Anu, thank you so much for being with us. The pleasure is absolutely mine. Thank you so much for having me. At one time, at least a few years ago, South Asia had the highest number of people living in slavery uh, across the globe. Is that still true? And and if so, why is this? this? What's the that dynamic there um, that we know isn't only happening there, but it's one of the places where there's been a lot of you know, sort of bonded labor and different kinds of human trafficking. Absolutely. Um, yes, it is still true. And it's unfortunate. You're looking at a statistic of 40.3 uh, million people trapped in slavery, of which, you know, one third of them, 11.3 million people. And that's just a very conservative estimate uh, of, of of majority of that uh, situated uh, you know, where I'm from um, in South Asia, it is unfortunate. A big reason to that is that uh, the implications of one's action, um, violent action uh, of the perpetrator, um, has not been significant enough for them to be steering away from it. Um, To put it a little bit more simply, if I'm a perpetrator, and if I'm benefiting from abusing and exploiting and raping and you know, getting away with all sorts of violence against the poor and the oppressed, if I'm getting away with it every single time, um, it doesn't give me much of a um, discouragement to walk away from that. You know, human trafficking generates about $150 billion a, de- a year. 
and two thirds of that is from commercial sexual exploitation. And women and children account for 71% of victims in modern slavery and 3.8 million adults are victims of forced sexual exploitation. One million children are victims of commercial sexual exploitation. And all of this is statistics, I think, from 2016. Uh, the numbers have only increased. In the season of COVID, 129% of violence has increased in, in just three months, March, April, May. Um, and a vast majority of these victims, 99%, they're women and children. So one thing that I've observed is it is possible or it continues to rise and increase in countries where, um, one, like I mentioned, the public justice system does not work for the poor, where the fear of approaching um, the public justice system lies with a victim, where the perpetrator does not have any fear whatsoever with the implications of his crime, where where it is possible for them to get away. If if the minimum, but 10 years ago when I started this work, the, the kind of punishment a slave owner got um, for holding slaves for more than you know, two generations was he was imprisoned till the rising of the court, which literally means till the judge gets up to go to the washroom to take a break. That is the level of punishment that he got for enslaving people for two or more generations. There were there was a time, again, when I started as the director of legal, when I was monitoring close to 300 plus cases, the perpetrator could go into the court and say, okay, yeah, I'm guilty. So where do I pay the fine? He could get away by paying $20 as fine after enslaving people for multiple generations, violating all of their rights. For now, imagine the public justice system like a pipe, a simple pipe which transports water from point A to point B. Imagine if that pipe has got, say, some 400 holes and justice is going to be potentially served at the end of the pipe. But if there are so many leaks, which is what happens if you're part of a very corrupt and a dysfunctional system, how can the poor ever get justice? I'm trying to say metaphorically, you know, the river of justice cannot flow. So as you talk about the, the river of justice flowing and this idea of the metaphor you shared about the pipe with the holes in it from the legal system, curious, what are some of maybe the other kind of surrounding factors that might also be contributing to modern day slavery? One, you know, you and I are responsible for it. There is a demand. When I mentioned that human trafficking generates about 150 billion a year, that again is a conservative estimate. It is, these are the choices we make. Um, you know, around the world, we are all looking at fast fashion. We are all looking at you know cheap commodities. A something that you purchased several years ago would still probably cost you the same amount, if not lesser, right now. We never stop to ask the question how that is possible. We never stop to ask the question, you know, the majority of the goods that is getting imported from different parts of the country, which is different parts of the world, which is coming at, you know, which is coming dirt cheap. We don't, we, we don't ask where the cuts happen. It actually happens at the 
beginning of the supply chain. It could be the shirt you wear. It could be the sari I drape. It could be, you know, you know, the flask that you drink water out of, the phone that you use, you know, the cobalt that is going into making the battery. All of these things employ slaves, millions of slaves, so that, and at no cost, uh, almost 96% of the rescues that I have led and been responsible for are, uh, the victims were not paid anything. So you're looking at cheap labor. There is a demand for cheap labor. There is a demand for um, uh, online child exploitation. You know, there are people who can sit in front of high speed, free internet and pay a few dollars and get a child somewhere in Philippines, you know, sitting there naked in front of the camera and being sexually abused by their abusers because there is a demand. So that aspect is it's just this unapologetic demand that is generated by people who don't think too much about the consequences of their choices. It is unfortunate. It is evil. It is a heinous crime. But sometimes it is just a lot more in, you know, inconvenient to dig deeper and find out what it is that we can do. Mm, thanks, Anuva. I think that's really profound and important. So in this podcast, we're trying to look at these, you know, how do we help the the victim who's like in a situation of rescue, but also, you know, work, you know, to make the road safe, we say, um, uh, from Dr. Martin Luther King's sermon about the better, about the Good Samaritan. So in what you just mentioned, um, I'm trying to unpack this a little bit just for anyone who's listening. So one way someone could help out for someone who's a victim of trafficking or exploitation like this would be to give to support an organization that, that helps. Uh, but you just talked about these other ways where we have responsibility too. And the two you mentioned, I think if I heard you correct earlier, is two thirds of um, victims of trafficking are uh, kind of sexual trafficking. And then yeah. are, the, are the rest labor trafficking? So then another third would be labor trafficking, which is tying into the um, into the kind of cheap labor that you're talking about. I just want to understand that first. That's the first part of the question. Is that a right understanding? And then could you talk about specifically, you know, how can we, how can someone in the suburbs of Chicago where we are or in a small town in Arizona or wherever they are, what can we do about this? How can we make a difference on this issue uh, when it comes to, to helping out in these core root issues that you just mentioned? Yeah. Like I said, sexual exploitation happens regardless of where you are. What happens is, yes, vast majority of victims of sexual exploitation are women and children. But when you are a slave and another human being owns you, he can do anything to you. So whether you're trafficked for labor or you're trafficked for sex, sexual exploitation is a given. It has just always been a constant theme in the work that we have done. It's unfortunate. So that is just to clarify that. But one of the things, um, to specifically answer your question, um, we have, we have, as I mentioned, rescued more than 53,000 victims of violence and convicted over 1,800 perpetrators in local codes. We have trained over 216,000 people, which includes justice system officials, as the police, prosecutors, judges, social workers, as well as church and community members. But one of the things that always comes back to me and is my favorite thing to talk about is what happens when a victim 
turns survivor and eventually turns around and becomes a champion in rescuing others and bringing them out of their miserable, miserable life in slavery. Um, my favorite stories of rehabilitations, and it's not one, it is hundreds of people who have been rescued from uh, be it sex trafficking or labor trafficking, turn around and go back and rescue a few hundreds more. That has happened. And it is possible. And my favorite moment is when I see these uh, young girls who have once, you know, horrifically robbed their childhood out of, walk back into those same brothels and have this conversation with a victim and say, I know this is all confusing. I have been there. But look at me now. How, how powerful to, to hear just that transformation that you're sharing there. And, you know, as you have been sharing during our time together, I, I know that I just feel like in some ways my eyes have kind of been open to thinking about this in different ways. You know, you mentioned about that example of someone who had actually been holding others slave in slavery for multiple generations, not just one generation, but you know, multiple generations and just feeling astounded about how do those sorts of things happen sometimes even on our own backyards. And so I, it, it made me think about um, after Hurricane Katrina. So I had moved down there just a few days before that storm struck. And it wasn't though until maybe five, six years later that I finally learned that there had been this huge group of individuals that had been brought from another country into the U.S., actually in one of the communities where I was helping to provide relief work and finding out they were being held against their will and being forced into labor trafficking. And yeah. so, you know, that, that was in a community just down the road from where I lived at the time. What, what are maybe some red flags or, or maybe things that should make us uh, feel kind of suspicious that something's going on or maybe this is a concern that we should be letting somebody else know? And, and who would that be to let know if we suspected something around trafficking in our own communities? Yes. Um, yeah, but to say that, I do need to fully answer what you asked me earlier too. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, like the tagline of your podcast, right? the do good better. That is pretty much aligned with what we do. Um, our evolution of casework, theory of change, we first started our work rescuing the one. Over time, we realized that it's not enough to rescue the individual, but we have to fix a system that are in place that are not functioning. And much like the line from Martin Luther King Jr. sermon that inspired the name of your podcast, it is not enough to aid the wounded man on the Jericho Road. It's also necessary to work to change the conditions of the road, which made robbery possible. And this is precisely what IGM is trying to do. Help the wounded man on the road while simultaneously fixing the road through repairing and building the capacity of justice system. Now, when we are doing this, it pretty much aligns with what we are thinking. What does a good Samaritan do? What 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 can there is this work that is going on in the background and there is there are people like you coming along and inviting others into that journey to get a way to participate, to be part of the solution as against the problem. The first step to all of that is to building your awareness. I mean, it may not lead to anywhere, but getting to understand that there is a problem like this, potentially something that you are responsible for, is a first place to start. 
building awareness, understanding a little bit more about what this means. What is this problem? And then identify organizations which can give you a lot more information about how this can be done. Partner with us. I mean, most of the times, and I keep saying this, I never get tired of saying this, the difference between a person staying in slavery and being free is you. It is the decision that you make. One, to know what that means, to know what human trafficking means, to know your, our contribution to the problem as against the solution. Um, and the most important one is to find out how you can partner and, you know, be that Samaritan who didn't use the day of Sabbath as an excuse not to do the right thing. And what's, we're going to transition in just a second to our, what we call the big five or final five questions. But bef before that, really appreciate what you're saying of how we can help and the importance of awareness and and stepping in in these ways and partnering with those who are experts. Uh, could you say what's what's something, one or two things that we shouldn't do? You know, so if we're kind of feeling a heart of of wanting to help, um, especially, I guess, for those in the U.S., but what, what's something that we shouldn't do? Uh, mistakes that you see are made as we seek to keep getting better at doing good. It's, it's just that I'm mentally focused on how many things we can do as against what we can't. It, it would be helpful not to embrace fast fashion. Don't. I mean, it's cheap. It is uh, something that makes you look good. You have a variety to choose from. But the truth is it's actually very expensive. It's extremely expensive. Most of the time, it's five to ten human lives at a time. I can say this with conviction because one rescue that I led had 111 girls who were trapped in a spinning mill, which was generating this fabric to be exported to the United States, Germany, and UK. And I know that every single girl there was exploited sexually. She was working for 20 hours. And I know that every single girl was within the age group of 14 to 18. Now that to me is something that is a result of our selfish decision. So do not buy fast fashion. Um, do not knowingly, willingly get on sites which um, offers free or cheap services that you know for a fact comes with a price um, of a human life. Do not be neutral. I mean, it is a sin. Do not try to justify that you're doing something that is fixing the problem. You know, do not just write a check and be done with it. Do not, yeah, do not conclude that you're doing your part when you have actually not invited um, prayer into the space, if you have not actually invited your friends into the space, if you have actually not invited your own conscience into the space of addressing human trafficking. Thanks. I appreciate how much you've thought, and we have much to learn from you here. So I, I think that's an, an important one to add, to not be neutral and to not be passive in, in the midst of such serious issues when people's lives are, are literally at stake. Um, so for the big five questions, first question is, uh, and these are all just for short responses, uh, what's something that has surprised you in your work? The transformation that I've experienced within. I, I'm a survivor of violence myself, but yeah. I just, I was just, I thought I was making a difference in the lives of people. The truth is God was doing something absolutely miraculous in me. So 
the transformation is what that surprised me. Wonderful. And how would you say that you've been going about learning to do good better presently in your work? Hmm. Every day I wake up with a decision that I'm going to enjoy the most difficult parts of my work. Every day it gets more difficult. But every day I look back on the stories of restoration. And every day I decide that tomorrow I'd be better than today. That's what I do. That's excellent. And uh, how would you define humility in the context of uh, the work you're doing? You know, I live in a developed country now. And there are times when I... There are times when I look at my plate of food and know that and know that there are 40.3 million people waiting to be rescued from slavery, not being able to afford one, one meal in that 20 hours of work days that they are put in. So every time I eat a meal, I remember to be grateful. I, it grounds me. It puts me in my place when I think that something is not delicious. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I said that. <laughs> you know, that, that's a really, I think, useful tip for us to be able to think about how we can tie our everyday life as ways to remember and cultivate gratitude even when we're facing such challenges ahead. And so another question I have for you is, what's one thing you think that uh, we could do to make the road safer? Walk with us. Um, one needs to journey the path before you understand what needs to be fixed. I mean, there is a tendency for us to, you know, take a telescope, look from far and say, oh, there is a problem. So, you know, maybe maybe that's how it is in that part of the world. Maybe, you know, that's got something that's far away from who I am. I would say journey with us, journey with those who have been trapped in slavery, journey with those victims who are voiceless. I think it is important to go on that journey. It's important to pray into the journey of those who are not going to be able to make it to their freedom. And then how do you sustain hope? This may be related, but the last question, uh, how do you sustain hope in the midst of your work? Well, uh, it is hard work. I'd be lying um, if I didn't say that. But the faces of those who have been rescued, um, I have had the incredible opportunity of seeing people on the day of rescue, but also you know, a few days after when we start the rehabilitation work, it is as different as day and night. Um, I recall all of them, you know, some old enough to be my grandma, some old enough to be my children. Um, I think it is their story of transformation which keeps me going joyfully. Well, and as we start to move and wrap up our time, curious if there's anything else that you would like to share with our listeners. You know, the problem of modern day slavery seems to be something that is dark because it is. And 
it feels like the this is going to continue forever the truth is it's not not if you and i decide you know the work that igm does i mean absolutely i believe that it is possible to find um an end to slavery and 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 i know that my daughters will you know be in a world where slavery is history and it's something that you can read in textbooks you have an open invitation this is something that god deeply cares about deeply cares about anu thank you yeah thank you so much for your time i think this is a profound invitation to us and i can hear in your voice and as you share the story the uh helping people in really difficult situations not shying away and continuing to get to to keep getting better at doing good so thank you for sharing with us thank you for the important work that you and your colleagues uh do of transformation in people's lives the pleasure and honor is mine thank you so much for having me again so i hope you found that uh, and i'm sure you did found that conversation as moving and and serious and profound as we did i love that she talked about the theory of change and uh we talked about that with our graduate students and how it's important to think about you know not just doing activities but how do we really make a difference in people's lives uh for the short term and long term and i think that we're supposed to be aware i know i need to be aware and reminded to be aware on these issues there aren't quick fixes but there are things that we can do you and i um day by day to help make a difference in other people's lives thanks for listening to the better samaritan podcast you can find links to the things we mentioned during this episode in the show notes and special thanks to the brilliance for this fantastic music theme if you enjoyed today's episode please rate and subscribe you can also follow the humanitarian disaster institute on facebook twitter and instagram We'll see you next week as we continue learning to do good better. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism. and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.